When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Good morning. I trust you are well. I want to speak to a guest who appeared on this program many times over the last 15 years. Who has now written a book about, well, the tough, tough life that she has witnessed and the tough life that she's experienced. And it's in honour of her brother Kevin, Margaret McGookin, who is now Margaret McGookin, MBE, and representative of survivors and victims of institutional abuse. Margaret, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Margaret, thank you for joining us on the program. And I, I know it's so difficult for you, especially at this time, because Kevin, who you referred to so many times when you had conversations with us, Kevin, who was cruelly treated by people in authority when he was, he was young, he, he passed away very recently. Yes, um, on the 7th of June, early that morning, in his nursing home, around um, half past six in the morning, and that was the day of the book launch. Um, I really didn't know what to do then when I heard that news, because it only came out of some, doing some interviews, and um, I was just in deep shock. And then we all decided to do it. The family agreed, and friends, um, life goes on, let's do it in Kevin's memory, and it turned out to be an amazing event um, with Julian Smith in the Taoiseach, um, Michal Martin, sending their uh, commiserations and, and I got a letter from the Taoiseach and Julian of course was on live video um, mentioning Kevin you know, so the book launch was in the end all about him and his memory, you know, so he was well remembered I know you mentioned that um, MBE, but that is nothing to me, Frank. You know, it is for Kevin um, and for the thousands of others who have come through the care system and who are still coming through the care system. Um, you know, I've talked about Muggamore Abbey, but I'll not talk into depth about that. But Kevin was also incarcerated in there too and shouldn't have been. So that's something that's ongoing and I'm going to continue being a part of that campaign and to get justice and to get answers why did he remain in that place for 20 or so more years and when he should have been resettled out into with assisted living at least. You're very much the face of the campaigners and you appeared many times in the media, in the papers, on television and you contributed to many radio programmes, Margaret. Now that the book has been written and, and published, do, do you feel a weight off your, your shoulders that people can sit and read it as opposed to you having to 
explain yourself every time you appear mm-hmm. in the media or speak on behalf of Kevin or, or, or the other victims. What, what did you set out to achieve with the book? I, I felt, um, but uh, there's many people who I got speaking to and strangers in the street says you need to write a book. I remember being an Asda one day looking at books and they said you need to write your own books. And this is all over the over the years, you know. So um, I had written bits and pieces, you know, and and then it just started to flow out, you know. And I was grieving as I did it, and I closed the laptop and couldn't go near it again. And then when I dared to open it, it just flooded, poured out, poured out, and it was very, very painful. But yes, Frank, I do feel much lighter. And it's, it's as if now I don't have to hide anymore about what I went through. I talk about it in detail there. You know, even my troublesome past after getting out of that, that institution and the trouble I get into. But I realise now that was not me. I wasn't that horrible, um, you know, volatile, angry child. Um, there was a reason for that. So because I have a reason for my behaviour, and you know, and I would like to allow that to other other people, other children growing up. There's always a reason behind that why children misbehave or get into trouble. It's like a cry for help. And you know, I'll talk about the little girl. She had no one to help her because she was more damaged than coming out of that place. And she couldn't trust anyone. She you, couldn't you do. It's interesting you call it, a couple of times you've called it that place as opposed to calling it by, yeah. by its name. Is, is, that, is it difficult for you to even make reference to where you were as a three-year-old? Absolutely. And every time I see it, uh, and the red brick even uh, triggers me so much. Um, anywhere I go when I see red brick, it just reminds me of Nazareth. And it do, reminds me of, yeah. Yeah, do, do, you, do you mind t- t- telling me more about what happened in there, what, how you were treated as a, as a little, as a little girl? This is Nazareth. This is, this is the Road area. This is the, the Nazareth yes. Lodge. Yes, this is, um, the girls at the time when I was in, you called it Nazareth House, the one at the ferry top of the Ormer Road. The one on the Ravenhill Road was Nazareth Lodge, which held the boys and the young, Young infants. So you're, of course, in Nazareth's house, yes? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, I was just snatched away from my family just because my mother had left, you know, and they felt they could do a better job than my father, you know, because he worked and stuff. And But he still tried his best to come in to visit us, and, you know, and when he was allowed. And they were very, very strict, even, you know, um, they nearly tortured him but, but by not allowing him to see his children. Um, you know, we were just separated from each other, but separated from my sister, so I didn't get seeing her. And, and I can just remember the crying and the wailing and not being attended to, not lifted to. So, you know, it does leave you um, that you're nearly emotionless when I did get out or not used to any tactile, you know, uh, you know, being cuddled or hugged or anything, and I still find it very hard to hug people. You know, you do it going through the motions, but I'm not really used to it because you weren't you weren't given any of that 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 inherent um, you know emotion or or caring nature. It was never it was nearly forbidden. Uh, you know, you weren't hugged, you weren't told you were nice or anything like that. You were told um, the exact opposite. You were unworthy and you were. You were just beaten about the whole place and told that you were just ugly and, uh, you know, a sinner and you were going to burn in hell. And that's another thing that I had to get, 
you know, out of myself there um, before, just before the campaign, that I always felt that it was going to burn in hell. And that stays with the, all the, the name calling and the brutality and the beatings, you know, that you nearly got used to it. You know, you were waiting on it happening. And so that drummed into you that you were the most hated person in the world. And primarily, you know, you flop, was yeah. that coming from the mm-hmm. sisters or was it coming from lay people? Who, who was constantly telling you that you weren't worthy, you would burn in hell, or, or who, who would have been beating you? Yeah, the nuns, Frank. Yeah, it's hard to believe, but, you know, I don't believe, and I wouldn't um, tarnish every nun because I have... I've met so many good nuns and Kate and I went down to visit some in Armagh who were good to her getting out of the Nazareth convent in Derry. You know, so, and I have many priests who are friends of mine, Father Tim Bartlett and Paddy, Paddy McCafferty. Um, you know, but it was unfortunate that I believe that these people were put in there under duress and I don't believe it was because of their vocation. You know, um, I, I believe because they were locked up themselves and having to do this you know there was no help and that came out in the inquiry um help was not given and they didn't ask for it because they wanted to hide it all came out in the inquiry frank that they didn't ask for help or they didn't ask for the government to pay to um help to look after us and that's why we were neglected starving neglected you know and then more money that was collected outside it didn't go to the children it went to build up their own coffers in Hammersmith, London, and this is all the truth that came out in the inquiry. You know, so children were barely a shoe or a sock on, or no clothes, and you were just, the way you were treated, you know, like into freezing cold baths or other roasting hot water over your head and scalded, and just the humiliation, never mind the beatings in front of everybody and shearing off your head. It was like a horror, a horror movie. You know, in front of everybody, and you know, even them, I can just see the scissors, the heavy steel black scissors cutting off your hair, and that was a punishment in front of everyone. They did it in front, they're trailing you out of bed and putting you on your knees morning, noon, and night, you know, and there was no Christianity in that at all. What about the apologies that you've received? Do they mean anything considering what you've been through? Oh, that was only a part of the process. That was the time, the last time I spoke to you, Frank, on the day of the apology, that morning, and to hear the religious orders and the way they, it was a feigned apology. There was no meaning in it. There was no emotion in it. It was read off a script. You know, they didn't show any emotion. I don't know why they were hiding behind that. Uh, was it was an admission of guilt then. Um, because that's the way they play out everything, and it was very disappointing. The ones from the state now, and the five ministers, you could see the emotion there, and I sat beside them as they were delivering that apology. But, I mean, it was uh, too little, too late for all of us, um, Frank. I think we had to force them into that. As you know, Frank, that 15 years, we had to force the government into everything, and to do everything. You know, they didn't just, okay, let's just deal with this. The evidence is there and with the storm and collapsing. It was one fight after another to get them to move and to do it. And that was only come, the media. The media were my friends this whole 15 years. And I've written that in the book for you all, Frank, yourself included, that it was the media who, who, who kept me on board and that, you know, they never, 
They never faltered because they knew it was something that needed to be done. But it was through the media and speaking out that they even done and went so far to get to this stage. It is such a heartbreaking story, especially when you recount it like this, uh, Margaret. And you've spoken to me about just the hurt and the heartache that you went through yourself. But what Kevin went through was just... It's it's almost impossible to talk about, isn't it? Do you do you write clearly about it in the book? Uh, I um I touch on it. I touch on it, but I think there's another book where I really do want to go into depth. You know, it was hard to do this, and I couldn't wait to finish it. I nearly threw it to the one side, but because I'm being so open now, the brutality. The, I I can't believe it that as a young four year old. You know, there he, the abuse started in Nazareth Lodge, and that was um, there was a lot of uh, peer pressure upon him, the older boys, and it was in Raban House at Kirkcobbin. Then it was uh, Christian Brothers and a priest, and Frank he hates to talk about Muckamore, but just before his passing, and the months leading up to that, he opened up more, and I I, I didn't believe what he was saying just at a wee restaurant. And we Kate was with me, and I was writing down notes. And I, and I said, Kevin, what did you say? And he says, you know, the treatment, the treatment, the ECT. So, it is heartbreaking. It is it is incredibly heartbreaking. We're also very aware that the whole investigation into Muckamore is is ongoing with uh, people facing very serious charges. So, I w- will not put the spotlight on, on Muckamore uh, at this at this point, uh, Margaret. But when when you know, when I think about Kevin and what he went through and the attacks on him, because as a young boy, mm-hmm. I, I know you've spoken about this and I, I know it's been reported on, but it's almost so hard to talk about the fact that he, mm-hmm. as a young boy, he was raped. Yeah, yeah. And his lovely, everybody knows him for his lovely smile and his kind and caring nature. You know, and all was, even in the nursing home where he was just, and they were very kind to him, you know, and this was a nicer place. But he shouldn't have been really in there either. But he was so institutionalised by what happened then in his young life and then whatever happened in Muckamore that he, he wasn't fit to live. But all he used to crave for was to get out, to get a job and, and stuff, you know. But I, I, I'm just so grateful that he was relieved of all the this hidden secrets that he had kept, you know, and, and to... And to be told it wasn't his fault that, you know, what had happened, you know. But it was too, it was just too late. He was used and abused violently by foul people. That lovely young boy who'd never got a life and put in there at the age of four and never to be released again. There he was, 67, 67 and never had a life. He was only out for a, a few years and, you know, he was able to cope. He went to my relatives' house, uh, houses in, in England and he held down a job washing glasses and stuff in the Wellington Park Hotel. So he was capable of living on the outside. You know, but his life was ruined mentally. He was physically and psychologically destroyed. You know, but he still tried to hide behind that lovely smile and that caring nature. And he, he's well liked, so everything I'm doing now is all in his name. Everything is in his name, and I will continue to speak up on behalf of him and many others, Frank. 
You made the point a little earlier to me about your own behaviour when you were out as a as a teenage girl, as a as as a young as a young woman, and you want other children who'd be going through a time where maybe they're finding it very difficult to stay on the right side of the law and they would be seen maybe as a pest in society. What would you say to to those young people or to people who don't understand them? Because there, there obviously was a time when you admit that you would have been a bit of a pest. Oh, I was. I was the big pest, Frank. But I didn't realise. You know, that's when the last time I told you they call, used to call me Mad Maggie. You know, but where was that anger coming from? You know, and people have to look deeper and behind that. What about these children are on the streets now? And people think many, many of them are just a nuisance or a pest. You know, or they're just cheeky and you don't go near them. But you have to find out where they're coming from. Get them where they're at. And as I said there just last week to people, you need, need to catch them before they fall down to the ground it's too late. There's always a reason for this behaviour. Try and delve in behind that. You know, I think... Um, uh, those in, in the social services and probation sector and stuff need to learn a bit more. Frank, my, my uh, a doctor of many years ago uh, just sent me a lovely message there. And Margaret, I remember when you came to the surgery and you started talking about triggers, footsteps, colours. That was the red brick. It, began to, it was too much to hold on to. And, and she, they didn't realise. They didn't realise what was wrong with me. So they couldn't pinpoint it. And I, I think there need, needs to be more education. But to speak to the like of me and others so they can learn from it. You know, not out of a textbook, Frank. To speak to the people who have come through this. And we can educate them to understand so many of them children. And if I can do anything to help or guide them in that, I certainly will. Because I've, I've went through it all. I mean, you know, I've been in prison and everything. And I, I just pretended to be someone I wasn't. But it got me into trouble. I had no one to protect me or guide me or, or to speak to. You know, and and, and you don't um, lambast people or preach at them. You know, be gentle with them. Try and get there to, to understand them and build up a trusting relationship with them. And then you'll get somewhere. What was I didn't it, have that in the past. What, what mm-hmm. was it that transformed you from the young woman who was against the system, the young woman who ended up in prison, the young woman who was a challenge to all around her. What was it that transformed you from that angry person to the advocate you are today, the campaigner you are today, the articulate, welcoming presence that you are today? Thank you, Frank. Um, Well, I I began to cry out that much and I, I knew I couldn't act anymore or hide behind that persona. And I was getting into so much trouble, you know, um, and I, I just had a better life. And, you know, I give I give it all to him. I know, each to their own, but I have my faith in him, and I haven't faltered yet. And my, I know my sons are very, very proud of me, and I'm not ashamed to say he was the only one who came into my life and changed me and give me that the fight for justice, you know, that voice. He gave me that voice and changed my life. And there was no turning back and there never will there be. You know, so it was him when I used to cry out about praying for Kevin. You know, why is he in that place? You know, I was nearly so ashamed to tell anybody back then that he was in them places. And he told me why. And, you know, for so many others. And um, that, that's, what, that's what changed my life. He did. It's an incredible journey. It, it really is, Margaret. And uh, I really appreciate the input 
that you've given to us here on the, the radio down through the years and how uh, available you've been whenever we've invited you on the, to the radio station. People will want to read the book, so tell us the name of it and where they can get it, Margaret. Yes, it's I Did This For You. And the, and the front page photo is me, is that we orphan Annie, although she wasn't an orphan, you know, she's got a wee raggy dress on and her hair cut short, very sad looking. And um, it's on Amazon. It's in uh, also no alibis there in Botanic Avenue. It's in Little Acorns and Derry and Dremore, uh, uh, Dremore, what do you call it? Book, book, the bookstore in Dremore. Uh, that's there anyway. <laughs> and, um, you know, if anybody, anybody knows me can get a copy of that also. Lovely. It's, it's, it's online and the, the, uh, t- give, give us the title of it. I did this for you is what the title yes. of it is. I did this for you. Um, Margaret, thank you for coming on the program. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Margaret McGuckin, uh, one of the voices of the survivors of, indeed, institutional abuse. Um, voice of the survivors and, indeed, the victims of institutional abuse. You would have seen many times on, on television or heard, indeed, many times on the radio. Margaret's book is now available. I did this for you. Um, this is the U105 phone-in. If you're just uh, joining us, good morning to you. 02890 uh, Quite a few of you remarking on uh, Margaret's contribution. Uh, thank you. You're all being exceptionally positive and uh, full of praise for Margaret and what's uh, coming up on the screen in front of me. Right, it's uh, 23 to 11. 